So just have a bit of a think, don't, we're, not, we're gonna chat about this later on, but if you, had, if you had the opportunity to deliver your last, your final words, what would they be? Don't share, just have a think, what would they, they be? I've been searching for people's famous last words. Um, some really interesting words come from a passenger, Todd Bremer, on the United Flight 93, uh, which was on September 11, 2001. It was the flight that crashed into Pennsylvania. And his final words when he was speaking on the phone to, to a loved one, um, he puts the phone here and he says, are you guys ready? Let's roll. And then they storm the cockpit, they overtake the plane, the plane crashes so it doesn't uh, cause more um, damage and fatalities. Ludwig van Beethoven, he said, applaud my friends, the comedy is finished. Leonardo da Vinci said, so Leonardo da Vinci, right? He said, I have offended God and mankind because my work did not reach the quality it should have. Now, he was a little bit lazy, um, but his stuff's incredible. He changed the world. Um, Charlie Chaplin said, um, said this after a priest read him his last rites, and his last rites finished with, may the Lord have mercy on your soul. And he said, why not? After all, it belongs to him and passed away. Jesus' last words include these from Luke 23, verse 34. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. That's powerful, right? The, the question is, as I read that, the question is, well, what were they doing? What, what was so important that he wanted to forgive them? What were they, they doing? See, the context is Jesus is hanging on a cross. He says these words. He'd been marched, he'd marched into Jerusalem. He challenged all the powers that be. He challenged the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He challenged Rome and the law and the temple. He kind of disempowered it all. It resulted in this mock arrest, this dodgy trial, a death sentence, and he hangs on the cross in front of this sprawling crowd. God about to be killed by man, only to be snatched the ultimate victory as it all unfolds. And as it unfolds, these words ripple off his mouth. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. So what are they doing? Well, the text tells us, tells us exactly what they're doing. Five things, in fact, that Jesus' proclamation on the cross addresses. Five different responses to his execution as he looks around and sees what they are doing, sees what's going on, and he responds, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And it's in the following verses. So in Luke 23, 34, he says those words, and the next verse, right into it, it says, so forgive them, but they know not what they're doing, and they cast lots to divide his clothing. This is the first thing. So in the Gospel of John, we find that the clothing Jesus was wearing was a single, seamless tunic. It was like the most expensive one piece you could own at the time. And that's why they didn't tear it into pieces or cut it up or rip it off him, because it was really um, valuable. So they cast lots, they gambled to see who would win the piece of clothing that Jesus was wearing. The soldiers in question are looking to see how they can personally gain from Jesus' death. Which challenges us with the question, right? Do we, do we look at our faith like that? How do we gain from Jesus' death? Is that a motivating factor? Is that what drives us? Is that what we, we hold on to? Oh, look how I've gained. And, and we do that at the sake of actually enjoying Jesus, of being close to God. Well, Jesus' response to that is to forgive. Forgive them because they, they don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. So that's the first thing. The second thing, the next continues on. It says, and the people stood by and watched. 
I've never sort of seen that before, especially as it stands out by itself. The people stood by and watched. You see, this spectacle would have drawn people from everywhere. It was a public execution. People came out to see that, like we would come to see the winter solstice or whatever, fireworks or whatever. It was like a spectacular, specta uh, I was going to say spectator sport. It pretty much was. It was a spectacular thing that people would come out to see. So it wasn't the fact that Jesus was getting executed. It was the fact that there were executions happening that people went out to see. But this execution was very different. This was, a, was, was of an innocent man, falsely accused, a corrupt trial. He's executed via public opinion and people stood by and spectated. The, some of the people that would have welcomed him into the city, triumphant, would have stood there watching and knowing, but not done anything. Friend and foe, those who knew the truth and those who were completely oblivious to it, they just stood and watched. It makes me wonder, do we sometimes take up that position of ambivalent spectator to Jesus' work? Do we just watch? Just spectate, just see how it's going instead of jumping in. So that's the second thing. Third thing, but the leaders scoffed at him saying, he saved others, let him save himself if he is the Messiah of God, his chosen one. So there were some that wanted to gain from Jesus dying. There were some that were ambivalent to Jesus dying. But then the heat starts to get turned up. As we hear, there are some who are dismissive of Jesus' kingdom, dismissive of his whole thing. Their taunt, he saved others. Let him save himself because he is the Messiah of God, his chosen one. And, and this taunt was questioning the kingdom's power. If you're the Messiah, you had a kingdom. And that kingdom was noteworthy and it was powerful, it was significant. And, and it ushered in. And so people were looking at this and, and saying, it's all a joke, isn't it? Like what, what, you, what you have, Jesus, this thing you're trying to do, how you're trying to change everything, it's a joke, it's empty. It's this empty promise. This, temp, this kingdom you've bragged about, there's nothing to it. It offers us nothing. It's this powerless rant. And now you have the chance to prove yourself. Look at the audience, the captive, they're waiting. You've got the chance to prove yourself and you're found wanting. And Jesus' response? What would your response be? And they're not getting it, they don't understand. What would your response be? His response is, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. Then we read the fourth one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are king of the Jews, save yourself. So after dismissing the power of the kingdom, they go after the lordship of the king. It's not, it's not enough for them to say this kingdom thing is just a joke. They then attack his identity, his kingship, because a king would never hang on a cross. A king would never let his enemies treat him this way. A king in the final moments would have a dramatic escape and change everything. And I think that's what they were trying to provoke. The soldiers display this derogatory heart to Jesus, belittling him, making him this big. And Jesus even forgives those who would belittle him, who would be derogatory to his lordship. And then finally, number five, there was an, also an inscription over him, and this read, this is the king of the Jews. And that sign was not an affirmation of how good Jesus was. That's not why they put it up there. They didn't put it up there to encourage him or go, ah, good job, we'll put a sign up so everyone knows the message. That was a sarcastic slur that they kind of threw at Jesus. 
It was meant to, to elaborate the craziness that clearly wasn't who he said he was. It was this statement made to discredit Jesus, completely discredit him. And Jesus forgives them. In, the most, in his most vulnerable moment when doing something only he could do to those who discredit him, instead of threatening to punish them, instead of saying, it's mine to avenge, I will repay, instead of all of that, he says, forgive them, for they don't grasp what they're doing. See, without asking, he forgives his forgiveness. It reaches out to those who try and gain from his sacrifice, are ambivalent spectators to his work, dismiss his kingdom, are derogatory to his lordship, and they try to discredit what he did. And as I'm thinking through these, I'm like, we can sometimes respond this way to Jesus. We can sometimes slip into these postures, even as Christians, even as people saying, we know we love we love Jesus, we can find ourselves in here because circumstances don't pan out the way we want. And if we're not careful, we find ourselves blaming God or trying to gain from God or using God or discrediting God or not standing up for God. Jesus' words, they reveal what happens to us when we do that. That his forgiveness comes to us, it extends to us, it meets us. He's always welcoming us, he's always encouraging us back to him. But they also reveal that the cross demands more from us. The cross of Jesus demands more from us. It demands us to be generous with the work that he has done on the cross and to be active participants and to embrace the kingdom and to lift up his lordship and to seek to give credit to Jesus. The cross demands more. It demands that we hear Jesus' quiet, whispered words in the face of us running from him. That we hear his plea to the Father, forgive them. That we, we receive that. And that these things would, would define us no longer. That they would not keep us distant from Jesus, but we were able to, to step into the presence of God. We were able to meet Jesus, we were able to connect with him. See, in the same breath, Jesus teaches us that when we forgive, we choose not to be defined by that which hurts us. So when we forgive someone, we choose not to be defined by that which hurts us. He's hanging on the cross and all these things happen. All these things that could potentially hurt him that he could retaliate to. And he says, I'm not going to let those things shape me or the way I respond or who I am or what I've come to do. And he lets them go. He forgives them. He releases them. And you can only do that when, if you're thinking about metaphor, when you cling to God. When you cling to God and go, God, you're all I need, so I can let go of that other stuff. Where I've been hurt, where others have taken things from me that they shouldn't have. Where I've been treated so unfairly. God, I can't let go of them unless I can take hold of everything you have and are to me. And then I can not worry about those things. And that's what we see Jesus doing. At this most vulnerable moment of his life, he is holding on to God and offering to everybody else what he's found in God. He's like, ah, oh, I know I'm one with God. I know I have love and grace and peace and this oneness with God. I can offer that to others because you can't take it from me. You can't hurt me. And so instead, 
He allows that forgiveness just to flow through him onto this crowd. Jesus shows us that when we're hurt and dismissed and misunderstood and betrayed and forgotten and belittled and criticized and put down and insulted, that we can hold on to these things. We can hold on to them so tightly or we can let go of them and take hold of God. But here's the catch. You can't do both. You hold on to the wrongs people have done to you and you live in that space and it's not fun. Then it gradually kills your soul or you let go and you take hold of who God is and what God has done for you and what God wants to do. And you're free of all that. You have forgiveness. There's this work done in your heart that you then can extend to others. But we can't do both. See, when we, we hear Jesus' words, those words on the cross, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. And when that penetrates the hardness of our hearts, when those words and that forgiveness, they start to redeem us and, and, and take away our rebellion from God and welcome us back to God, then we have that to offer others. Because we don't need what others take from us if we have Jesus. And that's the gospel message. So what we're going to do now is I'm going to pray. And I'll pray for maybe some of you are, are struggling with feeling forgiven by God. Maybe some of you are struggling to forgive somebody else. I want to pray for you. And then we're going to discuss these first three questions. And I'll talk a little bit about that in just a sec. So let's pray. Loving God, we, we find it so difficult to imagine the power of those words as you hung on the cross and you forgave people that had wronged you so horrifically in everything from being ambivalent spectators and not caring to actively seeking to hurt you, you forgave them just like you forgive us. And Lord, if we are here today and we need to know that we are forgiven by you, Lord, help us to hear those words again from you. Forgive us, Lord. For we have sinned and we have run from you. We have been rebellious to you. We have not trusted. Forgive us, Lord. And welcome us back into your presence. And as we move closer to you, may we let go of the wrongs done to us. May we not hold those wrongs against others. By your power, may we relieve those things, knowing that we are forgiven by you. And Lord, this transforms our hearts. It changes our hearts if we can do this. So Lord, by your spirit, speak to us. Teach us what you want us to know. Help us to see what we are blind to. We just pray these things in your powerful name. Amen. So one of the benefits of doing Cafe Church is we get the chance to chat. So there's two, three questions. The first one's a warm-up. And then the second two, you get to, to delve into what we've talked about a little bit more strongly. The five points there are the five kind of responses to people, to Jesus at the cross, which you can just have as in your head. 
What I'd love you to do is jump into natural groups. There might be three natural groups here, the guys down on the mat. And yeah, so just move into three groups. Have some conversation about this. And we're going to do this for 10 minutes and then we're going to do something else. So, jump to it. <laughs> 